All right, good morning. As you know, Pastor John's being a big baby and staying at home today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, Pastor John is, uh, he had surgery and, you know, he's in a lot of pain. Um, I came up, I went to the hospital a couple times this week and saw him and, uh, man, he was out of it. <laughs> he should have not been, yeah, he should not be here. Who knows what he'd say with those drugs, you know. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> so we're going to skip ahead. He was supposed to do um, uh, Meeting Needs. This was supposed to be the title of the message today. But I'm going to get another message from that same series, and we're going to do that today. Um, and it's called Barriers to Vision. So things that get in the way of accomplishing vision. God's, uh, John's been talking about vision, you know, for the last uh, couple weeks. And his vision for the church and uh, what he wants to accomplish. Um, so when we talk about barriers... Um, there's two types of barriers to vision, and, and usually the vision is to grow the church. So there's different barriers to that, uh, two types. You have the spiritual barriers, barriers, and you have the tangible barriers. So spiritual barriers come from the heart. They're problems of the heart of people within the church. Um, and those are things such as uh, attitude, judgment, uh, pride, exclusivism, uh, being closed, um, and then there's things that are tangible. These are things that we can control uh, within the church that are a physical part of the church. Um, that's things like worship style, speaking style, uh, location, the times that we have service, whether we have child care or we don't, um, branding, how we brand our church. Does it look attractive to someone from the outside world? So those are different things, uh, different barriers that would possibly prevent growth or vision from happening within church. Um, and so, John asked me to speak on one of these particular today. I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit asked me to speak on one of these now. Uh, we're going to talk about the barriers to vision, and we're going to talk about worship style. So, to understand this barrier, first I think we have to understand really what is worship. If we're going to talk about worship style, we have to talk about what is worship. So John chapter 4, verse 21 uh, says this, 21 through 24, it says this, Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship with the Father in the spirit and in the truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So according to this passage, uh, true worship comes from the spirit. It's done in spirit and it's done in truth. It's not about anything physically um, that we do, um, but rather it comes from a result of the Holy Spirit within us. You know, worship must come from the heart, that's the spirit, and from the mind, that's the truth. Worship is 24-7. You know, we can worship God in a whole variety of ways. Praise and worship is just one of those ways. Um, We can worship Him in prayer. We can worship Him in the way we act, in the things that we do, the service that we do to other people, Um, our integrity in business, those types of things. Those are all glorifying to God and a different way to worship God. Uh, But usually when we think about praise and worship, we think about singing and playing, you know, instruments on Sunday morning. And that's a big part of it. Um, God says multiple times in the Bible, you know, to sing to the Lord uh, and to praise Him. Uh, some of those verses, First Chronicles sixteen twenty three. Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of His salvation from day to day. 
Psalm 102, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. And there's more, Psalms 29. Actually, most of the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms, talk about singing and praising God and uh, ascribing glory to his name. You know, so obviously Sunday morning is a part of worship, but what should that worship service look like? What does the Bible say um, that our worship service should look like? The truth is the Bible really doesn't talk about what exactly it should look like. Um, it doesn't really say what is and what isn't allowed to be in worship, uh, other than to say that in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 12, Uh, destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree, where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods, break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire, cut down the idols of their gods, and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord in their ways. So, we're not supposed to worship God as pagans worship. We're not supposed to incorporate pagan practices into our worship. That's one of the big things uh, that is mentioned in the Bible. But other than that, there's not a whole lot on it. Psalm 150, though, does talk about the different tools that they were using in their time to worship. Um, Psalm 150 says, Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with a clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So there's all these different things that people were using to praise God. All these different tools, different instruments, um, cymbals, dancing, all those things. But the thing is, those same tools at that same time period were also being used by pagan nations to fuel their drunken orgies. Um, it's just how you use it that determined whether it was good or if it was evil. The purpose for certain things also changes over time. Um, like back in the day, before electricity, you know, a lot of Christian churches had candlelight services. And it was a necessity. They had to have that because they needed to be able to see who was speaking. They needed to be able to read the scripture. But now we have candlelight services and it's to set a mood of reverence and to remind us of the night that Christ was born. So we still use some of those same things, but it's just different. Um, I don't know if you know this, but if you can, over time, different things have been accepted and unaccepted uh, in the church worship scene. So hymnals, actually, when they first came out, were seen as blasphemous because people didn't have to memorize the lyrics anymore. They didn't have to memorize the scripture that was contained within those songs, and people thought that hymnals were the worst thing ever because of, because of that. And then now... You have the other side of it where people are afraid to lose their hymnals. They don't want to lose it. They don't want to switch to the screens because of whatever personal reason. But the, my point is that these things have changed over time. The purpose of them has changed. Um, and it really depends not on what the thing is. The things don't really matter. What matters is what we're doing with the things and what we're doing with them and how we're using them in worship to point to God. Um, everything that we do should point to God in worship. Um, another thing that we talk about that I can talk about is skills, skills used in worship. Things that people can do, like video editing, um, graphics, uh, musicianship, singing, these different skills um, that people can use, they are another way to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
God has given people different skills and different abilities. Um, like, so my team in the Philippines that I train, most of my guys are on the tech side of things. So, you know, I have a sound tech in each church, a multimedia person, a graphic designer, web developer, all those things. And I always tell them that those things that they're doing, the skills that they're using, should be done into God, that they should do it to glorify God, and that they have a part in enhancing the worship, and that what they do, what these people are seeing, the congregation is seeing during praise and worship, is actually enhancing worship and honoring God and enhancing that time of worship. Another thing to consider um, when talking about what is and what isn't approved or allowed in worship is to know that God looks at the heart of the worshiper. Second uh, Samuel six fourteen to 22 And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window, and she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And when he had finished his sacrifice, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heavens, heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins. And then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who came above me, your father, and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate, celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than, these, than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. So, this story is, you know, there's a lot of different ways people have interpreted it before. Some people think that David was dancing naked in front of the, world, of the Lord, which I don't think that's the case because I don't think God would approve of that. I don't think any of us should be in here dancing naked, Todd. Just kidding, bro. <laughs> but uh, the truth, the, what it really was, was that David had taken off his, pre, his kingly robes and he was just wearing commoner clothes. And he was down dancing before God, and he wasn't distinguishing himself as separate, as being above the rest of the people. Um, and so a lot of people, not a lot of people, but Michal was offended by that. And she was like, how dare you do that? How can you do that? You know, that's disgusting. You know, you're dancing in front of God in normal, common day clothes. But God didn't care. God was okay with that. Because God looks at the heart. God doesn't look at, you know, what is being done necessarily. But he looks at the heart of the person that's doing it, the heart of the worshiper. You know, when a musician or a singer is up on stage and doing the best that they can do and doing it for God's glory, um, then they're truly worshiping God, regardless of the style of music that they're playing. So we can conclude then that what is allowed in worship depends on the heart of those using it and the heart of the worshiper. So what about technology and worship? Um, You know, because this is kind of a hot topic now in the U.S., and in churches across the U.S., um, but in worship, something that I teach all of my guys is that the idea of production is to create an atmosphere where people are wholly focused on God and what He has done for us so that they might truly worship Him um, in that moment. So what do I mean by that? I mean that 
we should never be a distraction. Anything that we do should never be a distraction uh, to keep people from worshiping God. So, for instance, like my sound tech guys, I always tell them, if you have feedback in the system or you forget to unmute somebody's mic, you've become a distraction. You've become a distraction to that time of worship. People are no longer focusing on worshiping God. They're thinking, oh, what an idiot. They didn't unmute the mic. No offense, Bart. <laughs> and, uh, you know, or if you... If, uh, if the media person misses a slide, you know, if during, during praise and worship, you know, you're looking for the next lyrics, and instead of thinking about what the lyrics are, you're thinking again, how did they miss that slide? Like, I don't know what we're singing anymore. It's a distraction. If a lights person uh, is running the lights, and they use all these crazy effects and smoke machines and strobes and stuff, it's a distraction. It's not an enhancement. There's a fine line there that we have to understand. Um, I think that lights can create a dynamic to morning worship. I think that lights help people feel emotion. So if you have a song that's talking about the blood of Christ and you use a deep red light, I think that that can help us think about that blood and remember what Christ did for us. Um, that's just another way that those things can enhance us, enhance the worship service. You know, God made us to feel worship and to feel emotion during worship. And there is a line uh, between what is a distraction and what is entertainment. Um, but like this says here, the role of anything used in worship should help to eliminate distractions and push the worshiper to focus solely worshiping on God. You know, I always hear this. People talk about, you know, uh, I don't go to church to get entertained. I don't go there to go to a concert. But the thing is, it doesn't ever actually become a concert until you stop singing, until you stop worshiping, until you sit down and let somebody up here sing to you. That's when it becomes a concert. It's not a concert until that point. Um, and there is a fine line between what we do on whether it's a distraction or if it's entertainment. So worship style must also align with the vision of the church. You know, John's been talking about vision for the last you know, couple weeks, and there's still quite a few more to go. But if the vision of this church was to say, or any church was to say, to reach the elderly, then obviously you'd want to use a worship style that is, you know, slow-paced, mostly hymns, um, no heavy production, um, that type of thing. But if the vision of the church is to reach the younger generation, certain musical and production styles can be used to attract them more. And the question is, is that a compromise? Is that a compromise to use a style of worship in church that would attract more people? And I would say no, that it is not a compromise. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 to 23 says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I become like one under the law, although I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one having the law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that all possible mean, by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. You know, I don't think that the style of worship or changing the style of worship or adding things like lights and computers and stuff um, to draw more people is a sin or necessarily evil. I think that the main thing that we have to focus on is the words. Um, the words of the songs, they should be still doctrinally sound, 
and point to God and the cross and what he has done for us. The content of worship is really what determines whether it's good or bad. You know, Grandpa, I know you love hymns, right? And I know you want to sing more hymns. You miss singing them. But I remember when I was a kid, when I was growing up, and Eastside would sing, you know, hymns all the time, and I was just, didn't connect with me. I was kind of bored. I'd sit there and make fun of the guy up there, you know. I was making fun of the dude up there and just not really singing. And I wasn't listening to the lyrics, and I wasn't connecting with what was being said. Um, you know, and I've seen a lot of heavy metal songs that take those old hymns and make them, you know, heavy metal. And, you know, that's what I really like. You know, I like some rock and roll, you know. But if that doesn't align with the vision for the church, if what Grandpa wants and what I want doesn't align with the vision for the church, then we have to die to self. We have to submit to what the vision is for the church. Um, So the truth is, now, they've done a lot of surveys and stuff. So if you want to grow the church, you need to have younger families coming in. You need to be able to have uh, a younger generation that drives the older generation and keeps the church growth going. And so the worship style that is preferred by the younger generation, is that graph up there? Yeah. Okay, so these are some surveys that were done. Um, I guess it's kind of small. Probably it's bigger back here. Um, So on the top is contemporary worship style, and on the bottom line is traditional, and that's by age. So the style that they prefer. um, So as you can see, the contemporary worship is preferred by those younger, then as they get older, it slumps off. Traditional style, you know, is not, you know, as important to the younger generation, but gets more important with the older generation. Go to the next slide. Okay, so this is, this is, a, this is data from the uh, Alabama-Florida Fellowship, 49 churches reporting. It's about 20,000 people responding. Um, so what they did was they looked at churches from 2008 to 2018, and they looked to see which of those churches were growing and which of those were declining, and then they also looked to see um, what type of worship they were using in that church. So those that used a contemporary style, uh, as you can see, there was an increase in attendance, and traditional, there was a bigger decrease. So the data is that younger people want something a little more upbeat, something that connects with them, Um, And so, for me and Grandpa, that means we have to submit to what the vision is for this church. And if the vision is to get more people that are younger, that are going to drive the church and keep it going into the future, after we're all gone, then that means that we have to submit to that and to accept that style of worship, regardless of what he wants and regardless of what I want. Um, So for the most part, church's vision, you know, they want to grow. That's the whole point of any vision, is to eventually grow the church And you do that by bringing in unbelievers and sharing the gospel. And you do that through evangelistic events, outreach ministry, or in the service itself, bringing in unbelievers so that they can hear the gospel. And that's where you have this concept, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard this, the seeker-friendly church. And the seeker-friendly church has been, it's been, there's some good sides of it and there's bad sides. I think it's been misinterpreted a lot. But what a seeker-friendly church is, it does not judge, does not ridicule or embarrass or point out visitors in the church. You know, it's really hard when you come to a church for the first time as a visitor, um, and if somebody's judging you, if somebody's looking at you all funny, you know. So be careful how you look at people and be like, 
you know. We can't do that. That's, that's not being seeker-friendly. A seeker-friendly church does, is welcoming, is inviting, is loving. The people that come into our church, we should be welcoming to them. We should be inviting and loving on them and showing that we're, we really care. A seeker-friendly church does not compromise the truth. That is one thing that a lot of churches have. They've compromised the truth and they've, you know, uh, gone back on homosexuality and a bunch of other things. But the truth is, sinners are sinners, sin is sin, and these people need Christ. And so we should never compromise the truth. But a seeker-friendly church also does remove barriers. So things that would prevent an unbeliever from coming into the church, a thing that would uh, push that person away, we do eliminate those barriers. Some of the things I talked about earlier, you know, even in the heart, not just physical things, in the heart, the attitude, the judgment, exclusivism, those are things that we must eliminate if we want to be a seeker-friendly church, things that we always have to be wary of. So how can worship style eliminate some of these barriers? So for the younger generation, I guess you would say, I don't know if I'm a younger generation, but I think people younger than me, um, there's some things that modern, the modern style of worship has certain things that help eliminate some of these barriers. You know, we have, you know, like dim lighting in the sanctuary. That's the thing that's become popular. And people do that because they want people to come into the church and not feel apprehensive about coming into the church. They don't want to come in and see a bunch of people looking at them because, oh, that person's new. Who's that guy coming in the back, you know? We have a tendency to look at people, and when you have a dim setting like that, it allows them to come in without having that apprehension. Um, it also allows them not to worry about what they've worn because you can't really see if what everybody's wearing if you come in and the church is dimly lit in the sanctuary until the lights come on, and then, at that point, it's too late for them to get out of here. You're stuck. It, you know, it lets latecomers come in without being embarrassed. Um, honestly, most visitors will be late to your service because they're still trying to work up that courage to come into service, and they're going to be late. And so it helps not to embarrass them. Um, being able to put on our website and on Facebook, you know, that we have a modern style of worship and then to show pictures of it is going to be attractive to those people that see it and encourage them, you know, to want to attend. There's another benefit um, to having these types of things, to having like this awesome stage that Nick worked on and was really cool, um, to having things like lights and sound system and all this stuff. Another opportunity for all that stuff is to use it for evangelistic events. So it's a huge opportunity. Jeremy was trying to, is trying to start a youth group, right? So how cool would it be to have a band come in, and we have the equipment now and the ability to have a band come in and rock this place as an evangelistic event and invite all the high schools and middle schools and surrounding areas, areas you know, and get a bunch of kids in here and jumpstart a youth group. It's a huge opportunity we have to do that. I mean, we could have a block party. We've got a screen for videoke back here. You know, get some karaoke going at a block party. It's an evangelistic event. So you can do all kinds of things. The idea with an evangelistic event is to draw a crowd. You know, I've heard people say that, that that's, you know, unbiblical. But I disagree with that because if you look in the book of Acts, how were people saved? It was always through a crowd. And, you know, the disciples had this ability. They could heal people. They could perform miracles. They could do all these things that drew a crowd. 
But we don't have that ability anymore. God says those things have faded away until the appropriate time that he'll bring them back. But what we do have is we have LED lights. We have speakers. We have inflatable games. We have tacos. We have awana. We have all these things that we can do that can draw a crowd. And every time you see that in the New Testament, that you draw a crowd and the gospel is presented, people are saved and added to the church. It's either through that method or it's always through personal evangelism, which is just as important. If you want to draw draw a crowd, your program or your technology, your system has to be at the level that meets or exceeds what's in the secular world. So in the Philippines, at our camp, um, I make sure that our equipment is always at the level or above what the secular world can offer. Because if you don't, why would anybody want to go? I mean, they can go to any other place. They can go to a concert. They can go to these... um, There's bars in the Philippines that are hardcore, like have awesome lights and sound and all that stuff. And so we have to be just as attractive as that. It's an evangelistic event. It's not church. It's an evangelistic event. So we have to be at that same level so that we can even get them to go there. And the point is, when they get there, they get to the camp, and we do... um, It is... It's... Not necessarily praise and worship, but the songs that we sing at the beginning are Christian songs. They have scripture in them. They have doctrinal principles in them. They talk about salvation, forgiveness, all these things. And these kids are there reading these lyrics unknowingly, having the, the seed planted in them because of all the cool stuff that we're doing. They don't even know it, that they're getting the seed planted in them. And then the speaker comes out and says, you guys are sinners. You need Jesus. And so, you see the Holy Spirit move. You see hands go up. You see people get saved. And it never gets old. But did those things save them? The lights, the stage, the smoke, all that stuff. No. It was God. It was the Holy Spirit. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. These things are just tools. Style of worship should not be a battleground in the church. It should not be a barrier for those outside of the church. The real battle every week is making sure that our hearts are ready to truly worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, there's a lot of stuff changing, you know, in the church. Um, and it's happening for a reason. Pastor John has a vision. These changes are going to help eliminate some of the barriers to accomplishing that vision. Will this new stage, will these lights, will all those things grow the church magically? No, of course not. Are they absolutely necessary? Again, no. God is powerful enough to grow this church without all these things. But he has blessed us with them, and we should be good stewards of it and use it to be more efficient and to grow the church. The only thing that will truly make this church grow is when we are committed wholly with one vision, one purpose, and one heart, and a desire to truly be a light and to draw in the lost. That's what this series is all about. John wants you to catch the vision that he's given him. And, you know, he's going to talk a lot more about that in the weeks to come. 
But I would encourage you not to let this be a hindrance to that. Don't let the style of worship and the use of technology in the church become a barrier to accomplishing that vision. Change is hard, but sometimes it's worth it. God has a plan for this church. God has a plan for each and every person in here, and he's going to use you. I can feel it. I just know that God is going to do something big here. Let's pray, guys. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this day, Lord, and we thank you for this time that we had together that we could come and worship you, God. Just pray for Pastor John that you would continue to heal him.